We have been doing a series through the book of Ecclesiastes. This will be the, uh, the last message in the series. We did number five, the uh, fifth message in the series. And there's sort of three big topics that we've been looking at uh, that you see in the book of Ecclesiastes. You see the topic of work and the topic of pleasure, which we looked at last week. And uh, you also see this broad topic of wisdom. And so we're going to talk about wisdom today, which is really fitting because as we've noted, the book of Proverbs is, or the book of Ecclesiastes, sorry, is one of the three wisdom books of the Bible, which includes Proverbs, the book of Job, and the book of Ecclesiastes. And so you can't talk about a wisdom book without talking about wisdom. So that's what we get to look at today. And um, wisdom is kind of different than knowledge, even though they're used often in the same sentence in scripture. Uh, But knowledge has much more to do with information. Wisdom is much more about knowing how and when to use information or when to use knowledge. As Miles Kington said, knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. There's a difference, and perhaps you know people who are have a lot of knowledge. You always have more to learn, and knowledge speaks, but wisdom listens. And so there, there's a difference between knowledge and just having a bunch of information in your head, or having a bunch of theology in your head, and actually being wise about how you carry that out and in, in interact with other people. Uh, wisdom is actually used twice as many times in the Bible as knowledge uh, because wisdom is, is far more in, important, if you will. It's more uh, talked about in connection with, with, with living in the Spirit, this idea of being wise. And we know the passage in 1 Corinthians 8, which says, knowledge puffs you up with pride, but love, or you could even put wisdom in there, Uh, wisdom builds up. I mean, knowledge without wisdom can look very prideful. It can very look like I'm right and I don't want to listen to you and I, my opinion is, is correct and you have nothing to offer me. Wisdom always listens. It always understands that you, you may actually be right, but there's always probably more to learn and you always need to be growing and developing. And so wisdom is different than knowledge in scripture. And so in this book, as we've seen, this, this teacher, who is kind of the main character of this book, uh, keeps taking us on this journey. He's actually doing a grand life experiment, partly so we don't have to. So he's doing this grand life experiments because he's got all the money and all the power. And so he goes on this experiment of, of work and experiment of pleasure. And he also does this experiment of wisdom exploring the realm of wisdom to the depths of wisdom and and can I find satisfaction in life through wisdom alone and so he's on this journey and so the sort of narrator of the story says this about the teacher keep this in mind the teacher was considered wise and he taught the people everything he knew he listened carefully to many proverbs studying and classifying them the teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly the words of the wise are like cattle prods painful but helpful 
And so it's kind of the, the introduction, even though it's at the end of the book, of, of sort of the teacher's journey. And as we've seen, the, the, one of the purpose of wisdom literature is actually to create a little bit of pain in us. It's, it's there to disturb us at times, to, to knock us out of the comfortable thinking sometimes we have or the comfortable world and say, well, wait a minute, are you actually being wise and are actually thinking deeply about some of these subjects? And so that's why we have like the book of Job, which is like, where is this coming from? <laughs> which can make us very uncomfortable sometimes if our theology is, oh, well, if I just follow God, everything's going to be wonderful and beautiful at all times. And then there's like Job. It's like, well, wait a second. That's wisdom literature. It's like a cattle prod. At times it makes us very uncomfortable. And we've seen that in this book of Ecclesiastes. And we'll see it with wisdom as well. So uh, the teacher himself described himself as I, the teacher, was king of Israel and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it's all meaningless, like chasing the wind. Now, if you've been with us, you immediately know that meaningless gets us off track with the English word. The scholars note the word is the Hebrew word haval, which means smoke or mist. It doesn't mean meaningless. It means it's, you can't control it. It's, it's kind of a mystery. You can try to grab something, but you can't quite grab it. And that's what life often is like. And as he tries to find pure satisfaction and meaning in work, he said it's, it's like smoke. It's, it's meaningless. It's, you know, it makes me happy sometimes, but sometimes it makes me miserable. Or the idea of pleasure was like smoke. You know, sometimes it's wonderful, but I can't control it. And sometimes it leaves me empty. Sometimes it fills me up. And, and the same idea of wisdom. He says, wisdom is like smoke. <laughs> and notice he, he, and this is sort of the wisdom literature, these statements that kind of disturb us a little bit, where he says, I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. And again, he has this almost cognitive dissonance about him in this book where, you know, he's very negative about things and they're very positive about things. And this is one of those things where thinking through wisdom, we probably think the same thing sometimes. If you've ever wrestled with the question of suffering, for instance, if you ever had someone in your family who was maybe too young and you loved and, and was killed or died or something horrible, or the Christians who lived through, say, the Rwanda genocide, there's these questions at times like, you know, what in the world is going on? And in the end, he's, it's just all like, I mean, like, wisdom isn't fully satisfying, but there's a lot of good things about wisdom. And so he takes us on this wisdom journey. And first of all, he says there's a lot of benefits with, with being wise, a lot of benefits of having wisdom. In chapter 8, he says, How wonderful to be wise, to analyze and interpret things. Wisdom lights up a person's face softens its harshness. And, and sometimes if you have that loving wisdom and, and someone's struggling, I mean, you can really light someone's face up with wisdom when you just have the right word to say. Maybe you have one of those friends where, you know, whenever you're in trouble, you can go chat with them and it just seems like there's Holy Spirit wisdom on them. And you're just like, this is awesome. It lights up your face. He notes that. In chapter 10, he says, a wise person chooses the right road, a fool takes the wrong one. And if you're wise about things, Sometimes it helps you in life to take the right path. And, and if you're not wise about things, sometimes you make the, the, the wrong choice. So wisdom will help us in life, he says. And, and later on in chapter 10, he says, Using a dull axe requires great strength, so sharpen the blade. That's the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. 
And, uh, and I don't know about you, but there are moments in my life where I've been doing things for years and years and years, and then you'll like, go on YouTube, and you find out how someone does it, and you're like, wow, that's just so wise. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's just saved you hours of your life because you found a really wise way to, uh, to do something. And, uh, you know, uh, you know I, I kind of have a holy side hustle, as we've been talking about, a uh, job on the side, I'm a mechanic. And, and sometimes, you know, for years, you know, there's these, these plastic wire looms where, on trailers where you have to, like, stretch wire through and get them in. Like, for years, I was just, like, pushing it in all the way. And then just like last week, I saw some guy take a wrench in the wire. You'd probably have to see this to understand it. And he just slides it all the way through, and it goes in, like, instant. I'm like... That's wisdom, and that's going to help me succeed. And so just the wisdom God has given people can really be helpful. I mean, wisdom is very beneficial in a lot of ways, and so this is one of the reflections he makes on his journey of wisdom. And Jesus himself, of course, didn't ignore wisdom, didn't look at wisdom and say, I don't need that. Luke chapter 2 says Jesus grew in wisdom. And in stature, because he was a little kid, he grew up, just like we did. And in the favor with God and all the people. And, and we should be growing in wisdom. Uh, studying and learning and growing and, and not just information, because wisdom is taking that knowledge and information and be able to actually apply it to life in helpful and lo- loving ways. We see Stephen in the Bible was full of wisdom. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. And then he's, he's talking about these Pharisees who were, you know, about to kill him. It said, none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. And it's just a beautiful combination when you see people who are full of wisdom, but also full of the spirit. And then this wisdom becomes very supernatural and very spiritual. And it, it just can dig right into our heart and, and bring things out that are beautiful or lighten us up. And, and Stephen was a guy like this who coupled wisdom with, with the filling of the spirit and you know, I think that's what God wants to see in our lives. Uh, but there's also negatives of, negatives of wisdom. As, as this teacher goes on this wisdom journey, he's like, man, there's a lot of great things about wisdom, but there's also things about wisdom that kind of suck. And as he, he's always going, the positive and negatives, as we've seen with work and pleasure and those kind of things. And so he says, look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind. The greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increased sorrow. And there's some truth to this. The more you grow in wisdom, it tends to expose you more to the hurtful things of this world, the hard things of this world, to hurting people and to more questions. I mean, the longer, I mean, I've been a pastor for 22 years and I probably have more questions now than I did when I first became a Christian. <laughs> because the more you dive into theology, the more you see how complex scripture is and different ideas and, and more questions about life because, you know, sometimes I've gotten calls, you know, of you know, kids who have died, and then you've got to do the funeral for people who love Jesus, and, and you just get more questions about life the, the more wise you become and the more you walk in this world, and, and this is part of it. And so there's a struggle. Sometimes, you know, when things were nice and simple, and you could put all your theology in a nice little box, or you could explain the universe, and anybody who asks you a question, like, oh, I know the answer, and you, put, you have this nice little box, it's simple, and it's kind of peaceful, <laughs> But the more you grow in wisdom, he says, that I've increased in sorrow and in grief. I mean, you think about it. I mean, a couple hundred years ago, you would just pretty much know what was going on in your little village, your town. 
But now as the world has increased in knowledge and wisdom and technology, man, we hear about all the tragedies happening all over the place and the news is repeated and we get, I mean, we have this, what is known as like information saturation, which actually has become kind of harmful for us. As one article said that studies have linked poor mental health to news exposure during negative and traumatic events such as terrorist attacks or natural disasters or COVID or whatever it might be. The more news a person consumes during and after these events, the more likely they are to suffer from depression and stress and anxiety. And this is kind of what he's saying. The more I learn about things and know what's going on in the world, the more I'm exposed to wisdom, the, the more sorrow it's actually brought me. And it's actually in some ways made life harder. And so there's this benefit of wisdom, but also the negative side of wisdom. And he also notes in chapter one, everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. And this is the problem with wisdom at times. Is the problem with YouTube at times or scrolling at times because there's got to be something good. More wisdom, nothing, but something else I can learn on this subject and we can just keep going and going and going and going. I mean, it's not like you just have one book anymore where you could just read and then read it again. But now it's like we have endless information. There is endless wisdom out there and you can just keep going and going and going. And, and he says that there's a sense that we... The problem with wisdom is that we are never satisfied. We just want more and more. And the problem with today's technology is... It's always there. You can keep going. And I mean, some folks are talking about what we have is information overload, infoxication, or infobesity, or data smog. Uh, researchers say that the stress of not being able to process information as fast as it arrives, combined with the personal and social expectations, say you will answer every email or social media request, can deplete and more demoralize you. And it's part of the issue of wisdom because wisdom leads to greater technology and more access. And I mean, there's so much information coming at us. It's no wonder so many of us feel anxious and always busy and it's like, because there's this constant ringing and dinging and there's more wisdom to learn and I got more. And, and it can be very, very tiresome. And it's hard on us, they say. And so there's a problem with wisdom. He is saying that it can over, completely overwhelm you. So at the very end of the book, he actually says this, my child... Let me give you some further advice. Be careful, for writing books is endless and much study wears you out. <laughs> Just like work. You remember with work, he said two hands on the side. That's laziness, and that's not very good. But two hands at work all the time is not good either because then you're just working all the time. But learn to live life with one hand at work and one hand at rest. And it's the same with growing in wisdom. There are simply times you just need to rest. And there are some times you just need to not answer that text message or that social media post or just stop scrolling and just sit by yourself or just acknowledge the presence of God and give your mind a break because much study, social media, or wisdom, whatever, can wear you out, he says. So then he makes, again, this thing is like this idea of like, God made it pretty hard for us under the sun. So he acknowledges some of the tougher things, again, about life. Suffering and this reality that, that wisdom isn't always beneficial because both the wise and the foolish end up dying. And he actually talks quite a bit about death in this book because if you're wise, you're going to think about that. So it says, I, So I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness. For who can do this better than I, the king? Of course, because he had all the power. I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. 
For the wise can see where they are going, but fools walk in the dark. Yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Both will die. So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as a fool, what's the value of my wisdom? This is all so smoky. <laughs> he says, like, in the big picture of the billions of years of this universe, I got this tiny little life, and I can spend all my energy working and working and working, but I'm just going to die. And I can spend all my years growing the wisdom and the wisdom, and then there's this lazy fool over there who just kind of does nothing, and, and we end up the same. He's like, again, he's making these observations about life. He's like, I mean, this is just kind of smoke. That we're we're going to die. Or he says, for the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. So I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing after them. It's all just smoky, he says. Because like, in the big picture, we're, we're both going to die. So why should I burn myself out with wisdom? But there's benefits of wisdom. There are negative of wisdom. Again, he's all over the place. He's just, he's just making these observations of life. But he does say this. A wise person thinks a lot about death while a fool only about having a good time. If you're wise, you're going to actually think about death. Uh, that every day is very precious, and every day with your friends and your loved ones is very precious. I mean, this, this overseen point, which we've talked about a lot, is to enjoy every single moment of life. That, that's really at the heart of this book is, like, enjoy every moment. <laughs> And so if you're wise, you're going to be thinking about the future. You're going to be thinking about, you know, a legacy. You're going to be thinking about the reality you're going to die and, and not just, uh, you know, spending your life, you know, having a good time. I want to do that too. But he says wise people think about their death. And then he makes these notes about life that are kind of sad things about life, but it's as he's studying wisdom. He says, wisdom is even better when you have money. Both are a benefit as you go through life. Wisdom and money can get you almost anything. And that's kind of true. If you have a lot of wisdom, but you're very, very poor, it's hard to put some of that wisdom in action. But if you're very wise and you have a lot of money, you can be like a Jeff Bezos or something like that. And you can almost do anything you want. You can fly to space, right? Uh, he just notes that. He's just saying this is a true thing, like it or not, that wisdom and people have money are able to get further in life. And he makes this note again. He says, here's another bit of wisdom that has impressed me as I have watched the way our world works. And some of these things are just kind of, again, observations. There was a small town with only a few people and a great king came with his army and besieged it. A poor wise man knew how to save the town and so it was rescued. But afterward, no one thought to thank him. So even though wisdom is better than strength, those who are wise will be despised if they are poor. What they say will, be, will not be appreciated for long. And, and this is kind of a, a sad observation of life, which, which holds some truth. I mean, if you have a lot of money, a lot of power, a lot of privilege, and you're wise, I mean, your name can get known. But there are, I mean, thousands of stories of people who are incredibly wise, who even invented amazing things that are just were underprivileged or poor, didn't have the power to move that forward, and literally have been forgotten or overpowered by privileged people. I mean, I don't know if you saw the movie years ago, Hidden Figures. It's kind of a story about this very same thing, though these people are, are known now. But these three gals were these African-American women who worked for NASA. And they were called human computers because they were like geniusly smart people. And they were the ones who did all the calculations for the engineers, all the white engineers of NASA. 
And they were in the back room with all the black people because there was segregation. And they did all the calculations to help get the first man into space. And it's an interesting story because, I mean, they were just kind of sidelined and they had to work through, you see, in the movie through segregation while finally they get to actually meet with this group of white engineers and sit there. Uh, but it was always sort of pushed aside. Their names were pushed aside until the book kind of came out. But this is what the, the guy is saying, that you can be very, very wise, but if you don't have money or you're not in a privileged position, that sadly the way this broken world works is that sometimes you get sidelined and sometimes you get pushed aside. And he just kind of makes this, this odd for observation. He doesn't have any answers, but I mean, the answer falls on the kingdom of God and us to, to lift up the brokenhearted and to see those people who are wise and encourage those gifts and to come along those who are hurting and be generous. And, and we are to be building the kingdom of God, which is to reverse these kind of things where people only with money and privilege get ahead rather than equality. But in the end, he does say, if you have a choice between money and wisdom, it's far better to be wise than to be rich. He says, it is better to be poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who refuses all advice. I mean, that's always the worst. <laughs> and, you know, someone just refuses advice. We all know those people, and they're not fun to be around. Uh, chapter 9, he says, better to hear the quiet words of a wise person than shouts of a foolish king. Better to have wisdom than weapons of war, but one sinner can destroy much that is good. And so again, he's saying wisdom is very, very important. But if you can couple that with love and generosity and the kingdom of God, I mean, how, how much more, more beautiful? And he notes this little, I mean, a lot of these are just kind of wisdom thoughts in this book, which is a, it's a good point. And we've talked a lot about this, but he says, all people spend their lives scratching for food. They have never seemed, they never seem to have enough. So are wise people really better off than fools? Do poor people gain anything by being wise and knowing how to act in front of others? Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless. Chasing after the wind is just like smoke. And so, again, this idea of appreciating every moment, appreciating every gift, appreciating every little good thing you can find at work and in life and eating and drinking as, as he says. And remember this verse, we've, we've shown this so many times, but this other theme of the book where he says, so I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. And then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. This idea of enjoying every gift in every moment rather than constantly trying to control the future and control others and manipulate things and you know it's just like what is God doing now and what gifts are in this moment not even two minutes from now but right in this moment and he's got some random wisdom thoughts like this I have observed something else under the sun the fastest runner doesn't always win the race and the strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle the wise sometimes go hungry, and the skillful are not necessarily wealthy, and those who are educated don't always lead successful lives. And he just kind of notes this, and it's true. I mean, some people think that smart people always win, and not so smart people don't, and sometimes it's up and down. I mean, it's kind of all over the place. This is the, the smoke of life, as he is talking about. Uh, and five, he's random word of advice. Too many words make you a fool. It's not that late, so I haven't become a fool yet, so... Uh, Better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. 
And we know that. I mean, you know, those people who just always like come up to you and everything's just, oh, they're awesome and great. They never like challenge you at all or say, hey, you know, how are you really, do- really doing? I mean, those people who are wise and care about your heart and are able to challenge you and love you in good ways. I mean, those are beautiful people. Uh, I think there's another one here. I think this one should be posted on every church wall. I really think so. Don't long for the good old days. This is not why. <laughs> Again, and it's been in the moment. And, and what's God doing now? Not what he did 10 years ago. Um, because sometimes, you know, we always like look at the past through rose-colored glasses. It's always amazing. You know, like, you know two years ago in church, man, that was the best ever. And, and we forget to say, well, what is God doing now? I mean, so many moves of God have been stopped or hindered because people don't listen to this voice, this verse. Don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. This can happen in your work life, in your family life, and in many ways where we just want to run into the past because we kind of look at it in a safe way and maybe I felt comfortable back then, but, but God's at work now. And he's at work in this church right now. He's at work in your life right now. He's at work in your workplace right now. And so don't long for the past. And he says this about God. In my search for wisdom, and in my observation of people's burdens here on earth, I discovered that there is ceaseless activity day and night, and I realized that no one can discover everything God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything, no matter what they claim. And this is a good point as well. Because we all met those people, at least I have, because I used to be one of those people. You asked me any theological question, I had the answer for you, and I was right. <laughs> you ever been there? <laughs> it's like, it's, he's just reminding you, God is so much bigger than that. Hey, think about it. I mean, well, whatever scientists say, 13 billion year across whatever universe. I mean, it's just grand, and then like, there's this tiny, weeny, 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 itty, 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 tiny, weeny little speck of a galaxy somewhere in there. And then in that galaxy, there's this tiny, little, weeny, itty, bitty, witty, tiny little planet, and there on that planet is this tiny, little, itty, bitty person, you know, standing on a stage at the Junction Church, and that's me. And to think that I know everything about God, and I have all the answers, is that's not wise. <laughs> not wise at all. It just hinders communication and love between each other and conversation and those kind of things. We just reminders that God is far bigger and far grander. And the, ten, the more you grow in wisdom, the more you actually tend to understand that. And the more some of the questions get more mysterious and some of your answers get more like, I'm actually not sure, because God is very, very big. Now, just to bring this to an end, uh, there is this concluding thought on the whole book. So after all the searching of life and work and pleasure and wisdom and all those things, in the end he says, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands for this is everyone's duty. And so he's looking at all this whole life and he's like, you want to sum up life? This is what his summary was. Fear God and obey the commands of God, and this is everyone's duty. And, and of course, he's living under sort of the Old Testament realm, and the thinking of those folks in that day, just as, you know, we're always affected by our culture and our, and our current thinking, but that was the thinking of the Old Testament. It was very much based in the fear of God, and very much based in following the 613 Old Testament commands. But of course, we can reel this into the new covenant under Jesus. I mean, it says in Psalms, like, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, it's the beginning of wisdom, not the end of wisdom. And if you follow wisdom long enough, you run into Jesus and you run into this idea of like 1 John chapter 4 where it says God is love and such love has no fear 
because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. And so this journey, even the Bible kind of takes this journey from the, the fear of God is beginning of wisdom. But that's the beginning. If you follow the road of wisdom, you run into Jesus and you run into Jesus as he, he teaches about the love of God and the Holy Spirit and, and this idea that, that he's so, and that, that, that perfect love that God is expels all fear and we don't need to be worried any longer about punishment because I'm worried about punishment. It, it means I haven't understood the love of God and this trajectory of, of wisdom. As Brian Zan said, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And if we stay on the road of wisdom long enough, we finally discover that God is love and that we have nothing to fear from God. Perfect love casts out all fear. And, and then, you know, this idea where he sums up and says, you know, it's about obeying, the, you know, the commands of God. And really that can be wrapped up in the one command of Jesus. Love people. And so we, we take this final conclusion. We've got to push it through Jesus in the new covenant. Uh, we just, I think the conclusion would be this. <laughs> Allow God to love you and love God and love people. I think that's what we'll be pushed towards. And, but we do know these things in Jesus. Um, Jesus is actually called the wisdom of God. You know, talking about wisdom, we can't leave without talking about Jesus. And John chapter 1 says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in close relationship with the Father has made him known that I mean, he talks about the mysteriousness of God. We can't answer all these questions and the mysterious of wisdom but there is one who has revealed to us who God is and what he is like. And John says his name is Jesus. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. God made him to be wisdom itself, that, that Christ is wisdom. And it says in Colossians 2 that in him lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And there's this thing when you begin to live in the spirit of the wisdom of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and, and you grow in the wisdom of, this, of the, you know, the, the things that we can study in this world and they couple those together. I mean, it just makes us beautiful people. When we're able to walk in this reality that perfect love casts out all fear and we walk in this reality that we want to love people and just lean into the wisdom that the Spirit can give us.